Hi, my name is Maggie Connick and this is the story of how I came to know Jesus. So when I was growing up, I was raised in the Catholic Church and my grandpa was a Catholic deacon and so I just would go through the motions and that's what my family did. We would go to Catholic Mass eventually just when it was convenient, you know, like on Easter or Christmas or when my grandpa said we should so that people would see us like as good citizens and not necessarily pursue that relationship with God. I didn't even have a Bible until recently. So I went off to college and freshman year I met this girl named Megan Walker and she's now like one of my best friends here. And she really had that relationship with God I've never known. And I didn't want to admit that I didn't have one yet. We would have these talks about like, do you believe in God? And I would be like, yeah, but I, I don't think I'm good enough. I, I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven. I don't know if I'm someone God has chosen. And she really explained that to me, that like no human is ever actually good enough to get to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that I could have a relationship with God. But if you surrender yourself to him and to his grace, you will be accepted into heaven. Then Megan invited me to go to Providence. So I started going there and then my relationship with God just kind of like snowballed. I was realizing what it meant to actually have a true relationship with God and not just go through the motions. So then Marcus and Marcus's wife invited me to have dinner one day and then afterwards like me and Marcus sat down and we were talking about what it's actually like to surrender yourself to God and we looked at Romans 10 and, and how it says like it's not just about ritual, it's not about being baptized when you're one years old, it's about truly having that conversation with God. And I had realized I'd never actually done that. And so afterwards, like, I was in my car and my heart was like, this is right. I need to do this, like, right now. And so I, like, turned my music down and just, like, talked to God, like, in my car driving back. And I was like, you are, you are my all, you are my first, I, I surrender myself to you, like, there's nothing that is above you. You are what I'm pursuing over everything else. Who do you profess as your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ! Yeah! Yes. Okay, by your public profession of faith, I baptize <laughs> you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ. I'm so thankful for Marcus and Marcus's wife and Providence and just everyone around me that has shown me and brought me slowly but surely to this relationship with God. I'm excited to see what God brings me and where I'll go with my faith and who I can reach. Come on. Love it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Well, well, faith family, this is so good. The Lord has been so kind. Uh, the Lord, it's amazing to think about Marcus's story. So man just moved in behind the church several years ago, came to Westwood. The Lord brings him onto our team and serves on staff as one of our pastors. Then the Lord calls him to plant a church at the University of Montevallo. So Marcus, tell us why Montevallo? Yeah, so I guess my story starts back in college. Uh, when I was 20, that was a really afflicting, kind of terrible time in my life, mm -hmm. um, just trying to find myself, you know, and, and, um, and then uh, through a church that was investing in college students and, and really devoted to it, I, I, I came to know Jesus in a different way. I understood my purpose. I understood that I needed to glorify him with my life, and it kind of set me on this path that, that I'm, I'm now living. Mm. And, and so God 
comforted me in the middle of my affliction so that I could comfort others in any affliction with the same way that he's comforting me. Second Corinthians one, you know, and so Hmm. um, ever since then, I've been wanting to pay forward what God's done in me to people who are, who are struggling because college students, you know, they're, they're searching for identity. They're searching for purpose. Mm. They're, they're trying to find satisfaction in all these things that won't bring it, you yeah. know, like career and, and status and, and, um, you know, just whether or not you're married and, and all the things that everybody tells you you're supposed to have in life, the American dream, you know, they're, they're trying to find satisfaction in that. And, and we know as Christians that that, that doesn't satisfy only Jesus does. So, right. so that, that, um, I've been wanting to pour into them since then, but what specifically Montevallo, um, we were college pastors here. We're investing in students who are already down there, um, trying to equip them to, to be missional where they are. And the more and more we went down, the more and more we saw the need yeah. and we saw just the darkness of the place. It's a liberal arts, um, college, um, there, um, touting just, uh, you know, freedom of, you know, they have gender equality classes and, yeah. and, and, and they're, um, you know, it's a homosexual welcoming place. Montevallo is one of two in, in Alabama that, that really pushes that, yeah. you know, um, and, and the medium um, income of the population in the community is below the poverty line. Mm. So there's a lot of people in need. There's a lot of um, a darkness there. Um, Satan worshipers. There's a group that worship on campus every yeah. week. Um, party life, you know, just yeah. it's, it's a place with need. And God started drawing our heart down there. And, Amen. And we went. It's a great need for the gospel yeah. to just shine brightly yeah. in that community. Man, yeah. so back on January 6th of this year, Westwood, we as a faith family, we laid hands on you and a team of 26 to yeah. go and plant down in Montevallo. And yeah. um, you haven't gone public yet with your worship services. That's coming up next month, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. But Jesus is on the move there. Yeah. Can you tell us how he has been moving over the past several months? Yeah, so uh, we have three stories like the one you saw so far just in our pre-launch phase. Three people came to know Jesus. That's awesome. Five baptisms. Come on. Um, and so that's been awesome. Just so many ways that God's orchestrated us just connecting with people just in random God-centered ways, you know, and, yeah. and so I could, I could go on and on about that. Um, so that's been amazing. Um, and then if you see on the, on the kind of the screen up here, that's a building that God allowed us to pay cash for and purchase from a large unexpected donation. And um, praise so God, it, praise God, love it, um, love it, unbelievable, and love it, just a God orchestrated thing. So in December, I got wind of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we're going down there thinking we're going to, we're just going to go try to meet people and connect and, and um, just uh, gradually work our way into it. But then in January, I'm sitting there in, in a, a legal office signing papers hmm. for this place, you know, and um, so this is right on Main Street, um, right in the middle of the town. It's an old dojo building. It's two blocks over from the, from the school. Um, and it's amazing. It's 9,200 square feet. It's got a huge open space in the bottom for, for worship and gathering. Uh, we got a big room in the back that we just turned into a kid's space. Um, and upstairs, it's got two, two bedroom loft apartments. So we have two homes, two streets over from the campus, right in the middle of the community, basically, hmm. where we can show hospitality to people and reach people in the community and use at night. And, and, um, and then we're also using it as our offices. My brother wants to do, um, he's, he's on staff with us. He wants to do biblical counseling, and we're offering free biblical counseling throughout the week. Love it. And we just hope this could be a hub during the week. We're going to turn it into the, the space that people could come into and, and hang out, and we can serve the community and, and, and hopefully.
hopefully all that can lead to gospel appointments. So that, that was amazing. Yeah. I, I've never heard about anything like that happening. Yeah. And, then, and then, then the other part, this really cool, one, one other big thing, we, we got RSO status this year. And RSO is Registered Student Organization on Campus. And, and what that allows us to do is operate a lot like the BCM or club status or, or um, fraternities where we get to rent out space on campus for free. Yeah. We get to host events, um, religious events. Um, you know, they know that we're going to share Jesus. They know we're going to do those things. But we get to, to, to actively serve the, the campus there and, and, and the teachers and faculty. So um, God opened that door through me meeting a guy who's an art teacher on campus who, who was covertly reaching Christians through his art ministry. And, and, and he, he's like, I love what you're doing. I want to I sign off. And that allowed us to get some. It's, it's been crazy. Ah, oh, so. praise God. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Man. Okay, so moving forward. Okay, provenance. Not providence, provenance. Yes. Okay, tell me about what what's that word mean? Yeah, promise means a place of beginning, a place of birth or, or origin. Yeah. So um, it's neat. So we, we want our church, we say this, we want our church to be a place where people can begin following Christ, you yeah. know, a place of beginning for them. Amen. And so um Man, that's, oh, that's so good. Okay, so moving forward, what does it look like? I mean, because we're brothers, we're co-laborers in the yep. gospel. Um, this is not y'all go get it and have fun, but man, we're like Westwood, we're in this with you. Right. So what does this partnership look like between Westwood and Providence moving forward? Well, we need you guys to pray. Yeah. Just pray for us all the time. We need, we need, it's this dark place. We've already had some, um, some Wiccans vandalize our dumpster yeah. with graffiti. So um, we need that. We need prayer. Um, and, um, but a couple of big things to pray about coming up is, um, Friday, August 23rd from seven to 12 PM, we're, we're doing our big, um, RSO serve day. So basically we're, we're, we're helping the students, the new students move in. There's going to be about 600 students moving in that that have never, um, you know, been on campus before. And so we're going to just serve them and love them and make connections. And the whole goal is to invite them back. We have a bunch of big events the next week that we're, we're hosting and doing alongside the BCM um, just, to, just to connect with students. And that, that could, those could lead to um, gospel appointments that we're sharing our faith. And so that's a big deal if you guys want to pray. But then also if anybody wants to, you know, help yeah, us big, move. Come on, let's go. <laughs> totally. Get your cardio in, come, yeah. Come, come, come see me and I, we, we need all the help we can get. The yeah. more people that can come, the more it's going to help us with our RSO because they're going to see that we came through and we did what we said we we're going to do. So Amen. that's good. So that's pretty cool. And then um, um, Sunday, September 8th at 5 p.m., we do night services. Um, yeah. We're having our launch. Yeah. And um, just pray for that. Pray for the details. Pray that God brings people. And, and everybody's invited. Anybody who wants to come. We don't have enough space for all you guys. But um, Hey, we'll sit uh, outside, man. Yeah. We'll be there. But we yeah. can do more services if all you, all you guys want to Let's come. go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so pray for that. And, and, and another thing is pray that God will bring us co-laborers, people that have a heart to reach the students and, and reach the community. Yeah. And, and, um, and we're excited about it. We need, we need families. We need, we need all that, um, just like any other church. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Westwood, when, when you give on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, a portion of what you give helps to launch this. And you know, we want to continue as a church, continue to play offense with the gospel. We want to continue to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. And so y'all, let's continue to move the needle and let's reach people in Montevallo with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, let's take some time now and let's pray for Marcus and for Providence and let's ask the Lord to do, to do only he can do. 
Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in power across the community of Montevallo, Lord, drawing people to faith in Christ. God, I pray for revival that the entire community would be one to Jesus. I pray, God, your hand be upon providence. I pray you would give Marcus and his team wisdom and grace as they shepherd, as they lead, as they point people to the gospel. So God, fill them with your spirit. Be their defender and their protector. Lord, you tell us in Psalms 34 that you, uh, you protect your people with angels. And so Lord, I pray that would be true for Marcus and his family. Pray for Mariah and their four boys, that God, they would grow in the gospel. That Lord, you would use this family to be a powerhouse for the sake of Jesus in that community. I pray even now, Lord, for those who have yet to come to campus as freshmen, Lord, you would start softening their hearts to the gospel. I pray you would make inroads of relationships where they can come to Providence, they can hear the gospel. Lord, also be sent out across campus to tell people about Jesus. God, would you start a movement in Montevallo that cannot be stopped? A place where Jesus is high and exalted. Lives are changed forever. And Lord, your spirit is just working and moving and pointing people to your son. So God, we pray you would bless Marcus and use him in this church to make much of Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we thank thank Marcus? Thank the Lord for Marcus. Amen. Love you, bro. Love you, man. man. It's awesome. It's awesome. Thanks, bro. Man, I love it. I love it. Faith family, let's keep doing this. Let's keep looking for ways we can continue to play offense with the gospel. We want to see all people come to know Jesus. It's going to take all of us doing it together, faithfully giving, faithfully serving, faithfully investing in relationships. You know, it was London of 1941. The Third Reich had infiltrated the country of Great Britain and were daily dropping bombs on the city. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a powerful preacher in the heart of the city, serving as pastor at Westminster Chapel. Buildings decimated, fires ablaze, the church's stained glass windows shattered from the Nazi arsenal. Jones continued to preach the gospel week after week. He was literally doing ministry in a war zone. Now, every day... You and I are participants in an even greater battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle goes unseen by the human eye, but it is more real than life itself. The powers and the principalities of the air are raging against Jesus, raging against his angels, and raging against his people. And in Mark chapter one, we see Jesus head right for the center of the battle, and he goes head to head with the enemy himself. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter one. As a faith family, we're going through the gospel of Mark on a sermon series called On the Move. We're seeing Jesus on the move throughout the book of Mark, but we're also seeing Jesus on the move today. We got to hear a story about how Jesus is on the move in Montevallo and he is on the move in your life. 41 times the word immediately shows up here in the text of the gospel of Mark in which we're seeing Jesus fast paced and hard hitting. He's got things to do and he is changing people's lives. Last week we saw heaven open up at Jesus's baptism, affirming him as the son of God who has been promised throughout the Old Testament. Now in verses 12 and 13, we're gonna see hell open up as Jesus goes one on one with Satan. Look with me at Mark chapter one, beginning with verse 12. 
The scripture says, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. Now notice in this text how the greatest of battles went down. We see first, we notice the offensive. The offensive in verse 12. It says, immediately the spirit drove him. Mark uses the word immediately. He's connecting the baptism of Jesus to the temptation of Jesus. So instead of Jesus being ushered into Jerusalem after his coronation at the Jordan with a ticker tape parade, Jesus was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness to do battle. What we see in the text is Jesus entering into a cosmic battle with the devil. But notice who does the driving, verse 12, the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was compelled. He was led. He was driven out to the wilderness to battle against the enemy. Now that phrase, driven out, shows up later in this chapter as Jesus drives out demons from other people. Well, here, the Spirit is driving Jesus out to go play offense against Satan. Have you ever watched two sports teams play in which one of them is playing not to lose? They quite literally settle into a prevent defense, just trying to maintain a lead. It's boring to watch, but usually the team that settles not to lose eventually does lose. Jesus is not doing that here. Jesus is playing offense here. He is in a war against the enemy and he is playing for keeps. There's far too many believers that when it comes to temptation, they play not to lose. Passivity will never give you victory in the Christian life. At times, I've heard some believers use words like, the temptation was just too strong, or I couldn't help it, or it's just too hard. Hear me, if you are a believer, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Now notice what this text does not say. This does not say that God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, quite the opposite is true. God gives you way more than you can handle in order to crush your self-sufficiency and compel you to be completely dependent upon him. This verse is not saying that God will never give you more than you can handle. God will most certainly do that. But when it comes to temptation, God provides a way out. He is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what your spiritual maturity can handle. That's what Paul's driving home here. So when you're faced with temptation, you're not a victim who is forced to, to submit. Rather, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here in verse 12, we see Jesus going on the offensive against Satan. The second thing I want you to notice in the text is the battlefield. Verse 12 says, into the wilderness. The wilderness is quite literally a desert in Judea. 
In fact, I've got a picture that I want to show you guys up on the screen. That This is a picture I took. It's called the Mount of Temptation. It's the presumed place where this battle took place. It is miles upon miles of mountains and valleys of just dirt and dust and rock. It is an arid, dry land, which is quite the opposite of what it looked like at the first temptation in Genesis 3. You see, both Adam and Jesus were tempted by Jesus. I'm sorry, tempted by Satan. Both were representatives, yet both did not have the same response. Adam was in the paradise of Eden. Jesus was in the abandoned wasteland of Judea. Adam was surrounded by animals who were friendly and tame. Jesus was surrounded by animals, verse 12, that were predatory and dangerous. Adam ate the fruit that was given to him by his wife. Jesus did not eat at all. Adam listened to the lies of the ancient serpent. Jesus fought the enemy with the infallible word of God. Whereas the first Adam sinned in the garden, Jesus, the second Adam, remained sinless in the wilderness. You see, Jesus, the second Adam, did what the first Adam failed to do, obey God's word. Here is Jesus, verse 12, out in the desert. He is hot. He is hungry. He has been fasting for 40 days, just like Moses and Elijah. And yet Jesus did what the first Adam could not, obey the word of God. I want you to see thirdly, that we see not only the offensive in the battlefield, but notice the enemy. The enemy, verse 13, Satan. That word Satan, it means adversary. He is a created angelic being who fell from his position in heaven due to sin. He became arrogant in his beauty and his position. And according to Isaiah 14, he wanted to sit on the throne above God. Therefore, God cast him out of heaven down to earth where he is the ruler of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible calls him the accuser, the tempter, the deceiver, and the slanderer. Jesus says in John chapter eight, he is a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Satan is completely opposed to God and seeks to thwart God's purposes. And so his intention is to stop Jesus and his rescue plan. This is why he is tempting Jesus to sin, which leads us to number four, the enemy's strategy. Verse 13, it says, Jesus was being tempted by Satan. Satan tried to trip Jesus up by verse 13, tempting him to sin. Because if he could get Jesus to sin, if Satan could get Jesus to succumb to his temptation, then Jesus would not have been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, if Jesus had sinned, you and I are still headed for hell. Because at the cross, he could not have been the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin. We needed a perfect, blameless lamb who could be slaughtered on our behalf to atone for our sin. And so we see Satan who is trying to tempt Jesus to sin so that he could not fulfill what God intended for him to do. You see, we needed someone to atone for our sin and only Jesus, the perfect, 
perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God could do it. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, had to endure the temptation of Satan or forfeit being our substitute. We see Satan's strategy here, but we also see it in greater detail in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4. Let me show you really quickly. Keep your finger in Mark 1 and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see what this looks like in greater detail. Whereas Mark gives us only two verses, Mark and Luke give us 11 verses and 13 verses revolved around this temptation. And in Mark chap- I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, the scripture says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will give his angels uh, orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and began serving him. Notice how Satan is attacking Jesus using scripture. Satan knows the Bible but he twists it, he perverts it, he manipulates it for his own personal gain. Which means this for us, y'all. We must be watchful for false teachers who twist the scriptures for personal profit or power. When someone claims to speak for God and promises health and promises wealth and minimizes suffering and minimizes the bloody atonement of the cross, run away. They are taking the scriptures, they're twisting the scriptures, manipulating the scriptures for their own personal gain. They are preaching like Satan. We must make sure that when we hear preaching, it aligns with the scriptures. And here is Satan in Matthew 4, taking the word of God that Jesus wrote and is using it against him. On the battlefield of the Judean desert, Satan is tempting the son of God by twisting the word of God. Isn't it interesting the the first words that Satan asked in the garden? Did God really say? He's trying to plant that seed of doubt. He wants to question and undermine the word of God because if you don't trust the word of God, then you don't trust the author. And so Satan is trying to plant these seeds of doubt, these seeds of questioning. May I say to you, you can completely bank your eternity on the word of God. It is perfect in all that it contains. There are no mixture of errors with inside of it. And you can bank your life upon the Bible. It is God's word to you and it is for your good. But we must also be watchful of the enemy. He is cunning and he is manipulative. He is like a roaring lion seeking to devour your faith. 
but all. Praise God. He loves you so much that he gives you many different weapons to fight temptation. Okay, the Bible equips you with an arsenal to have victory over temptation. The Bible does not lay flat with just one option on how to defeat temptation. It gives you many medicines for different types of pain and suffering that you face. In your notes, I've given you eight. Now, there are many more, but these are eight ways that you can have victory over temptation in your life. The first is this. Number one, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. The battle begins in the mind. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says, I take every thought captive and I make it obedient to Christ. Quite literally, you take that thought that comes into your mind, the temptation, and you grab hold of it. And then you run it through the Philippians filter. Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We take every thought that comes into our mind and we filter it with the word of God. And if it does not align with the word of God, we dismiss it. We don't think upon it. We ask the spirit to remove it from our minds so that we can be thinking the thoughts of God because we have the mind of Christ. We don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Secondly, not just take every thought captive, but pray for strength, grace, and wisdom. When you're in the heat of temptation, when anger is rising in your heart, when lust is pulsating through your veins, when the words of gossip are on the back of your tongue, stop and pray. You pray Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You pray and say, God, would you give me strength and grace and wisdom? Help me to follow you on my way out of this temptation. God, give me strength to walk in wisdom. You pick up the phone and you call your spouse and you say, will you pray for me? I am under attack. There's temptation and I wanna walk in the victory of Jesus. You text your accountability partners. You contact your life group leader and say, pray for me. I wanna walk in the victory of Jesus. You pray and you seek the Lord and you ask for his power and his grace to have victory over sin and he will provide it for you. He will, 1 Corinthians 10, provide a way out. See, we gotta seek the Lord. When you're doing battle in the spiritual realm, we have to use spiritual weapons and so we get on our knees and we seek the Lord. We pray with passion. God, give me a longing to be holy. I want to look like Christ. I want to pursue holiness and righteousness with my life. And so God, in the midst of this temptation, God, help me to walk in the victory that you've accomplished for me through the blood of your son, Jesus. Thirdly, I want you to also see, we run from temptation. Run from temptation. In Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph by the shirt. It says, my husband is gone. House is empty. Come lay with me. Joseph responds, 
how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he runs out of the house with Potiphar's wife still holding his shirt. This man was so passionate for holiness that he runs out the house in his drawers. When temptation comes your way, you run, you flee, you get out of that place, get out of your apartment, get out of your house, get out of that place of ill repute, you run. Get out of there. Literally flee from all forms of sexual immorality. You find ways out. He's like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta run. Even if it means that you're looking foolish, run. Run like a gazelle who's being chased by a lion because he's chasing you. He wants to devour your faith. So you get out of there. For the sake of your life, it depends upon it. Fourthly, you quote scripture. You quote scripture. Isn't it interesting? In Matthew 4, how does Jesus respond to temptation when it comes his way? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He could have easily called upon 12 legions of angels to come and wipe Satan off the face of the earth. He could have called upon his father to turn him into a pillar of salt, just like Lot's wife. Jesus could have spoken a word and obliterated him. But instead, he wields the sword of the Spirit. He quotes scripture. He says, it is written. Jesus is modeling for you and modeling for me how we do hand-to-hand -hand combat against the enemy and against temptation, and it's through the word of God. This is why David says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You take the word, you memorize the word, you meditate on the word, and you Put it deep into the soil of your heart so that in due time it bears much fruit. So when you're in the heat of temptation, the Spirit of God helps you recall the Word of God so that you can have victory for the glory of God. It's amazing how God will use the Bible that you've planted inside your mind and inside your heart and He empowers you to have victory in the heat of the moment. This is why, Westwood, we gotta be a people of the book. We love our Bibles, we read our Bibles, we memorize our Bibles, we meditate on our Bibles because when temptation comes, and y'all, it's coming. When temptation comes, you're ready to fight. Ephesians 6, Paul gives us the armor of God and the one offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so you pull forth your word and you fight back with the word of God. That's how Jesus fought. That's how you can fight. But we also see not only quoting scripture, but number five, invite accountability. Invite account accountability. You need people in your life who are not impressed by you. People who know you and love you. 
people who will call you out when you're walking in foolishness, people who ask you hard questions that you can't dance around, people who have access to your phone, your financials, and they can call your spouse to make sure you're not lying. A few years ago, I was in a group with a bunch of men, and we showed up to our breakfast meeting spot, and I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, how are you doing? And I said, what's wrong? He said, how did you know? I said, you just answered my question with a question and you got a look on your face. So what happened? I was in his life. I knew him. We'd become close brothers. And so he then began saying, well, here's what's going on. And he began unpacking things going on in his life, his marriage, his family, his work. You see, it's in those moments that we need one another. You need someone who's rubbing you the wrong way. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. How do you sharpen iron? You rub it the wrong way. There's gotta be friction. There's gotta be people who are telling you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. People who ask you hard questions in which you can't wiggle out of them. You need people who will sit down and love you face to face, eye to eye, and say, listen, you're wrong. One of God's good gifts to us as husbands is our wives because she can see blind spots. And husbands... We're just like Lionel. (laughs) I have so many blind spots and weaknesses and the Lord graciously gives me a spouse to help me identify them. But you also need some other men, brothers in your life and women, sisters in your life who will sit down with you and love you enough to tell you the truth. So you invite accountability. Next, so good. This one's often underutilized. Sing for joy. Sing for joy. When temptation comes calling your name, singing the gospel is your response. When God's people were headed out for war in 2 Chronicles 20, they went out singing and God gave them the victory. When Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts 16, they were praying and they were singing and God gave them the victory. Missionary to China, Mary Slosser, she described it this way when she sang to the Lord, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. When you are being tempted, you sing. You sing to the Lord. You sing the gospel. Satan hates to hear you sing. And so you sing as if nobody else is listening but him. Kenneth, I'm not a very good singer. I sound terrible. Y'all, there's a reason I don't sing on Sundays. I'm terrible. Now, deep down, I think I'm good, but I know I'm not. But when I'm singing to my heavenly father, doesn't matter. He loves your heart. He wants you to sing. When your young child starts singing and they're off key and they don't get the words right, you don't scold them. You celebrate. Love it. You sing. So when temptation comes your way, you sing to the Lord. Sing. Number seven, celebrate the win. Celebrate the win. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. Each time the sheep, the coin, and the son are found, what happens? Celebration. Rejoicing partying. Let's go. Yes. We celebrate. Now being a a Kentucky fan, uh, we hang banners. Okay. For you Alabama folk, 
You collect trophies, okay? It's time in which you look back at victories in the past. You need that in your life. Times in which you look back in your life and you see the victory that Christ accomplished for you. You look back and say, man, look what Jesus did for me. So you hang those banners, you collect those trophies, celebrate the victories over sin that you have found through the grace of Jesus. So when you walk by the woman who's dressed inappropriately and you don't stare or make a second look, win and you celebrate. When you have the opportunity to fudge the numbers at work to meet quota or to embellish certain things to make yourself look good, but instead you tell the truth, win, you celebrate it. When you have the opportunity to spike someone's character in a conversation and yet you tame the tongue, win, and you celebrate it. These are victories that you accomplish by the grace of Jesus and you celebrate your victory over temptation when it comes knocking on your life. When jealousy or anger or impatience bud in the garden of your heart, you kill it with the gospel, win. That's what we do as believers and you celebrate it. Now, when a toddler starts walking and they fall down, do we scold them? No. Love the effort, way to go, buddy. Let's get back up and let's try again. Y'all, that's true for young believers. When a believer who is new to the faith, as we see people come to faith in Jesus at Westwood, as people come and join with us and they're growing in the gospel, there's gonna be times where they fall down. And we don't point or laugh. We don't get angry or shake our fist. We are a grace pace place. We are a grace people. And so we stoop down and say, love the effort. That's not the way we go. We're going the way of Jesus and it's this way. Let's go. That's how we treat one another. And we celebrate the wins that God gives to us through the grace of Jesus. Eighth and finally, you prepare for tomorrow. The danger that you and I face is that if we live in the past, we become nostalgic over previous victories. Y'all, we cannot rest in yesterday's victories. New trials are in front of us, new temptations are coming, and new opportunities to run to Jesus for grace. Now remember, Jesus was tempted right after his baptism. Elijah was literally running for the hills right after his victory at Mount Carmel. Paul had his life threatened by the Jews right after his conversion in Acts 9. You see, great spiritual victories are often followed by temptation and trial. Spiritually mature believers will see this. You can see it throughout your life, but you also see it coming in your future. Times in which you've seen great victory by the grace of Jesus, you get ready. Temptation's coming, trial is coming. And so we don't relish in, in the past and keep our eyes looking backwards, but we're looking forwards because we're anticipating attacks that are coming. You see, the believer that stares at the rearview mirror of God's work in the past will crash when tempted in the future. Looking backwards at God's faithfulness is a good spiritual discipline, but be careful of nostalgia. Because if you start looking more into the rearview mirror instead of out the windshield of the future that God has for you in following his son Jesus, you're gonna find yourself swerving away from him. And that's true for churches. Far too many churches are living in the past instead of looking towards the future. 
So let's make sure that we're continually looking forward to what God has for us next. And it leads us to our impact point into this. In your daily battle, trust Jesus and wield the sword of the Spirit. Every day you're in a battle. And so we run to Jesus for grace and we pull out the word of God and we do battle. This is how we win. This is how you experience the victory of Christ in your life. But hear me on this. Before Jesus is your example, he must first be your substitute. You must by faith look to the cross where Jesus defeated sin. He accomplished your victory through his shed blood. He's buried, rises again, and through his gospel, he empowers you by the Holy Spirit to go walk in the victory that he provides for you. And so every day when you are in this battle, we continually look backwards to Jesus and what he accomplished for us at the cross. We also look upward for the grace that we need to have victory. And we look forward to the future that's coming in which there is no more war. We will be with Christ and we will celebrate what he's accomplished for us. Temptation's coming, y'all. But let's trust Jesus and let's wield the sword of the Spirit and let's go walk in the victory that he accomplished for us at the cross and the empty tomb.